they open up about their life and the sort of meaning behind their song, like kind of the things that a traditional artist would be able to do in interviews, they're able to do themselves um, on social media. Hey, streamers and dreamers. My name is Otto Kent, and you're listening to The Week by Telecom Electronic Beats. It's Thursday, June 1st, and this is your weekly update on music, culture, and what's next. How the hell is it June already? Yep, it's time to iron out those rainbow flags again. And please remember, creases and wrinkles are homophobic. We are kicking off Pride Month by taking a closer look at how the queer community has used music and social media to become more visible and connected than ever before. Since the beginning of the internet, chat rooms have been meetup safe havens, places with a sense of community and security a lot of LGBTQIA folks can't easily find offline. That's not to say social media is always a safe space for queer people. In fact, TikTok recently came under fire for tracking users who watched gay content. Kind of unnerving. But with all the new visibility, good or bad, queer music and culture is more mainstream than ever. Of course, dance music has been an originator for creating safer spaces for decades. But queer artists and other genres have carved out niches for themselves as well. To find out how, we called up Sarah Essikoff, Sarah is the host of Sounds Gay, a brand new podcast about queer music culture by SiriusXM's Stitcher Studios. Throughout the series, Sarah takes us from trans punk mosh pits to heated lesbian rap battles and beyond. Sarah Esikoff, thank you so much for joining us. You're on New York time right now? I am. It's 9.30 a.m. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, I can see it's sunny there. It's sunny here, so... (laughs) Perfect. We're here to talk about everything that sounds gay, which is now your expertise. (laughs) Yes. Um, I have a new podcast out called Sounds Gay, which is all about the intersection of music and queerness. Um, And we're with this show trying to kind of, you know, it's not just like interviews with queer musicians. It's really going deep in this kind of documentary style about different musical subcultures, um, fandoms, and just sort of exploring what music means to queer people and queer communities. But we're also here to talk a little bit about social media and how music and social media and even just technology and social spaces on the internet have been a big player as a part of how queer musicians and queer artists have found audiences outside of the pop normal circuits. And I wanted to ask you just right off the bat, do you use TikTok? I do use TikTok. I don't post on TikTok, but I do view TikTok as a lurker. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's great. So do you have any particular TikTok artists that you follow and love that you think are like really finding their audience through that app? Ooh, well, I mean, it reminds me of um, our first episode, um, which is about contemporary Christian music in the United States. Um, And there's an artist in that episode that we interviewed, um, Semler, who's a Christian artist, uh, and they're queer, non-binary, um, and they have not been able to, you know, the sort of Christian music labels have not embraced them, likely because they're queer, non-binary, um, but they sort of were able to blow up on TikTok and their music, like their EP went number one on the Christian charts, uh, and they pretty much just promoted it through social media, so I think there's like a big audience for queer music in these spaces, especially for people who wouldn't be necessarily embraced in the mainstream. 
I loved the quote from that episode where they talked about how they would probably have a big Christian label recording contract by now if there wasn't this one part of their artist story that got them uh, away from that reality. But then Mm -hmm. they go into talking about all the digital devices that have helped them become super popular. And Mm -hmm. one of them was TikTok and the other one was digital distribution. I just thought that was a, a, a really poignant wrapper for how community right now, especially queer artists, have to use these platforms. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think it's like the perfect place for someone who falls outside of like what a traditional music label would be interested in to promote themselves. Um, I also wanted to talk about the intergenerational aspect of Sounds Gay and how social media, although we normally associate it with uh, younger people, that a lot of the episodes of the podcast talk about artists using the internet, even from 30, 40 years ago, as yeah. as a way to get uh, th- not only their messages across, but to find community. So did you want to speak to that a little bit? I mean, that was something we that was really important to us um, when making the show is we didn't want it. You know, none of these episodes are just like, here is a queer artist like in their 20s blowing up on TikTok. You know, like the the um, the, the CCM episode that we've been talking about with Semler. It's not just like, here's a profile of Semler. It kind of goes into this whole historical aspect. Um, and yeah, I think uh, there are two episodes that come to mind uh, with sort of like speaking with older people about, um, technology of the past. One is, um, our episode that's going to be out in a few weeks called Melanie Speaks, which is about a VHS tape, like a physical (laughs) VHS tape that a lot of trans women used in the nineties for voice training. So it was like made by a trans woman, just filming herself being like, here's how I feminized my voice you can try these techniques too. And it was like used by hundreds and hundreds of people and passed around as this kind of like, you know, like now those kinds of resources are on YouTube or whatever. Um, And it was a very sort of like proto version of like, you know, trans Tumblr or like (laughs) the spaces that kind of like trans young people who would be interested in voice training would go today. Um, So that was a really interesting episode to do. And we actually like you know, this tape has sort of been lost. We like one of our producers found a copy of the tape and digitized it. So like you get to hear it in the episode, which is really cool. Um, and it, it does really feel like this kind of like older version of like, you know, a forum. <laughs> yeah. Or even like a makeup tutorial or like, totally. which, you know, which binder, chest binder you should buy. Yep. Yeah. And these are all the stuff that like back then it you had to like, know someone to know someone to even find the tape. But these days there's millions of people who are watching these videos that aren't even queer that are either entertained by it or or learning about our culture. And I think that's quite an interesting intergenerational play that the show kind of points out. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, There's also another episode that you shared with me that for the nerdier side of me and synthesizers and sound effects, and it was so cool. You talked to an 80 plus queer musician engineer and went into their studio and even found out a little bit about their spiritual side. It's you want to talk a little bit about that episode. That's one of my favorite episodes. It's going to come out. It's going to be the last episode. 
Um, and it's a profile of this woman, Sandy Stone, who is now in her um, 80s. And she was like a pioneering recording engineer. She worked with Jimi Hendrix and Van Morrison, all these like super famous people. Uh, and she's probably best known as um, an engineer for this women's music label um, in the 70s, Olivia Records. It was like a lesbian separatist, part of the lesbian separatist movement in the United States. Um, and she is trans. And so it caused, there was a lot of backlash to her being part of this women's music label. Um, but she's just like so much more than that. When I started looking into her, she uh, is also considered one of the founders of the academic field of transgender studies. Like she's an academic, she was a professor for many, many years. Um, she's a sound artist. And she has just all of these really fascinating ideas about technology and like she talks about how when she like is at the board like the machine kind of talks to her and she talks back to it and she has this really interesting um like neo-pagan spirituality she's just like a fascinating person and I had the honor of hanging out with her in person in California for uh several days and like really got to know her um so it's a she's a really amazing person well I really appreciate how thoughtful some of the topics are dealt with on Sounds Gay. And one of them kind of brings us full circle to the United States Surgeon General putting out a considerate warning against social media and youth. And uh, I'm not sure if you've had a second to take a look at that article, but it talks specifically about how queer youth need social media as, as sometimes as a lifeline to keep them uh, aware of like the options that they have, even if they're growing up in a uh, not so option full experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did take a look at that. And I think that's something that I kind of have always thought about in relation to this stuff. I think, you know, all of these technologies have good and bad potential repercussions for anyone. Um, but like, I do think that as this article sort of puts forth, one population where it's almost certainly a net good is queer youth. I, I, I always would talk about that too with my friends about like dating apps. Like I think I would be in these conversations where people would be like, oh, like the apps, like so much worse than like just meeting someone at a bar or in person. Like it's so imp impersonal or, um, you know, it feels like commodified or, you know, all the, all these like true like negative effects of dating apps. But like, I would always think like for queer people, they're a godsend. Like I would never wish them away. <laughs> like, especially if you're in an area where there aren't a ton of other queer people or you're, um, not out to everyone in your life. Or, I mean, just in general, it's just such a, you know, queer people like make a lot of friends on dating apps. Like, it's just like so obviously a positive for that community. And I think it's like a similar thing where like, if you, are in a small town and you don't know many other queer people, the internet is like totally a lifeline um, and can just be like hugely important for like queer kids or um, teenagers. Yeah, I agree. There's there's good and bad and, and there are ways in which it's uh, difficult to 
pull yourself away from some of these applications that have a a, a chokehold on us sometimes. <laughs> right. But uh, I definitely also see how this new younger generation are getting a version of social media that I didn't have when I was growing up. And I see it propelling um, really nuanced conversations about gender and sexual orientation, even spirituality and Christianity. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us on the show today to give us a little bit of preview of some of this in-depth work you've done with Sounds Gay and um, helping us understand how much more there is out there to learn about what sounds gay and why it's important. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. But for now, let's groove to other headlines that matter this week. The world's top 100 clubs according to DJ Mag. DJ Mag has just announced their annual list of the world's top 100 clubs. Uh, The list is voted on by their readers and anyone else who gets their promoted posts. All right, let's just dive in. Hi, Ibiza is taking the top spot on the list for the second straight year, my favorite mega club. And generally, 2023's list tilts towards places like this. Slick, theatrical, models and bottles type places. You know, the ones where a bottle of water costs 12 euros, and if you get too close to the DJ booth, a CO2 cannon might blast your face or ruin your hearing. DJ Mag claims 700,000 people voted in this year's poll. And along with the usual suspects like Fabric or Berghain, it's kind of interesting to see the balance of clubs by territory, so let's do that. Europe is just ahead of Asia, which has 20 clubs on the list. There's clubs from Nairobi, Hong Kong, and Thailand that have made it on there, but North America wins out with a total of 23 entries. But shockingly, no clubs mentioned from Chicago or Detroit. You know, those places where house and techno were born. To expand on our cost of living conversation last week, uh, we'd really like to see a list of top 100 clubs or parties where entry is a tenor or less. Yeah. Listening to birdsong is healthy. So remember all those times you've walked home from a club so late or early for that matter, it's already morning and you can hear the birds chirping all around you with way more energy than you have. You felt a little guilty, maybe? Well, that bird song is good for your mental health. Two scientific studies have reported that seeing birds and hearing bird song can improve negative emotions and reduce feelings of anxiety or paranoia. These benefits last long after you've seen or heard the birds and benefit people with or without existing depression. So let's do a better job of protecting the environments where these birds can sing, right? Go out this weekend, touch some grass, hug a tree, but not so hard it shakes out any nests, and enjoy some beautiful bird song. Miley Cyrus is not coming to a town near you. Miley Cyrus released her new album this year, and she announced that she currently has no plans to go on tour with it. That sparked discussions on social media from people saying she was being selfish to her not wanting to interact with her fans. But last week, she clarified that the problem is not with her fans, but with her finding it actually very isolating to perform alone in front of hundreds of thousands of people and her simply not liking life on the road. In an Instagram post, Miley talked about the less glamorous parts of touring she wants to ditch, like sleeping on a bus. And with this, she's not alone. She's part of a trendy discussion by artists who have been more open about the difficulties of life on the road and more recently, burnout. But in typical Hannah Montana fashion, she explained it to her fans like this. These looks I've been turning don't travel well. The archival looks don't fold. Okay, girl, now we understand. Get off that tour bus. 
Trip Hop is making a comeback. So Trip Hop is coming back. But let's face it, the trippy, hip-hoppy, down-tempoed, melancholic sound its never really left the chat. Artists like FKA Twigs, Lana Del Rey, and even Bonobo owe a lot of their mojo to seminal trip-hop acts like Massive Attack, Portishead, and even Dido. But a fresh pedigree of acts are releasing tunes with a much more direct line to the 1990 days of Maxin Quay. Enter ASO, that's two people, singer Aleo Cerro O'Neill and musician Louis Day, aka Tornado Wallace. And they are just about to drop their self-titled LP, which sounds to me like a true love letter to trip-hop. And they're not alone, bands like Hysterical Love Project, Mara, Mike Midnight, and Pure Link are all pitching down the brakes to create modern liminal lullabies. So check out our show notes for a playlist of the coldest cuts from the fresh take on a classic sound. Trend alert, you heard it here first. So if you've listened to the show, you know what time it is. It's rec time. And we're staying with Trip Hop, with ASO to be specific. And we asked them what is the quintessential Trip Hop song and why. Hey, it's Alia from ASO. And in that genre, the quintessential track for us is Six Underground by Sneaker Pimps. It has the catchy vocal hooks sung by a sexy, sultry female lead, backed by beautiful cinematic strings, which are likely sampled from somewhere relatively obscure, all held together by a breakbeat drum loop played a little slower than it feels like it should be. All together, feeling like you're listening to some top 40 track from the 90s through the fuzzy haze of a cough syrup high. It's pop music with something uncomfortable lying beneath its exterior. Something about it remains unresolved or a bit askew. Thank you, Alia. You can, of course, find this track in the show notes, and it is also part of the playlist I set up for you, so make sure to check it out. That's all for the week this week. I'll be here next Thursday. Take care and remember to stop scrolling. The Week is a production by Telecom Electronic Beats and ACB Stories.